Irish Illustrated Insider, October 26th, Monday. Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley. A couple days after Notre Dame hammers Pittsburgh 45-3. to The offense had its way. The defense had its way. Good to see Notre Dame's offense, Tim, get back in the swing of things a little bit in the red zone, which is no easy task against Pittsburgh. I mean, we can say that Pittsburgh is lousy, and we knew they, didn't, they wouldn't have a chance offensively without their starting quarterback, but it's still a formidable defensive line in particular, defensive front. You know, that back end, I'm beginning to wonder if Pittsburgh's uh, safeties are a little bit overrated. I mean, I, I, I've seen I've seen number 12 and number three back there get, get torched enough so far this season that you wonder. But, look, strong performance by Notre Dame. All you can do is take care of yourselves. Brian Kelly emphasized to the team that they needed better effort, better intensity, and they certainly brought it in a 45-3 win. Yeah, mentally tough offensively the whole time because they knew there'd be some negative plays, some plays that don't go anywhere, and they bounce back all the time from them. The one time was at first and 27. They tried to catch him with a draw. There's people complaining on Twitter that Notre Dame was giving up on the drive. Well, you know what? Oh, my God. Just punt the ball, and then Pittsburgh can't possibly score. So maybe that's the smart way. That's giving up on a drive would be throwing it and getting intercepted. Yeah, Tommy Reese is being criticized. I, You know, that's when I popped into the chat and I saw – criticism of Reese on running the ball in second and 28 and third and 29. And I knew I was in the wrong place. So I got the heck out of there as quickly as I could because uh, that's ridiculous. But anyway, be that as it may. Skoranek, I put down as, I want to get your thoughts on this. I had Skoranek as the MVP, but Mayer as the best offensive player that day in the notebook, you know, before film reviews, because Skoranek just gave them the boost and the cushion they needed to play a different way against Pittsburgh after that was after his two scores. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I was a little surprised to hear Brian Kelly compare him to miles Boykin, but I guess I get, I get the comparison, you know, that, that length and the ability, the ability to get up and make a play six, three, two thirty. Uh, he still looks, I mean, think about his first catch in our name against Louisville where he kind of went backwards to get, regain his footing and go forwards. And you wonder like, you wonder what the heck is going on here, but, uh, great hands. You know, I mentioned it in our instant analysis today that the two catches against Louisville, both for first downs on third down, and then two two for touchdowns. And then you brought up it, it, one, the seventy three yarder was a third and fourteen. He's, he's a uh, he looked athletic on those two plays too. You mentioned his first catch; he didn't look like that on those two catches on the touchdowns. He went up and got the ball. Not a great play by the safety. Was it Hamlin on the first touchdown? But he he high pointed the ball and uh, and he showed some burst running to the end zone both times. It's they need it. They need more of him. Um, they need one more, though, too, and they lost two guys this week. Yeah, they did. Uh, you do get Lawrence Keys back, but I, I'm not sure how – I just don't – I'm not sure how much of an impact player Lawrence Keys is. I just don't – I don't trust his strength. And I think – although he's fast, I think he'd be – I mean, look what, Avery, look what Avery Davis has done in making himself stronger. Yeah, um, you know Avery Davis now looks like a real compliment in the pass game. Maybe he is it. Maybe you do more things with him. We have a question about uh, where some of these uh, receivers will be aligned in, in our second segment. I want to address address that then. But you know, look, hey, Skronik is a, is a veteran receiver. I know that's not going to, to to raise the dial for a lot of people as they anticipate skipping by Georgia Tech and going right into the Clemson week, but. Um, Skronik's played twice, two games now, where he was completely healthy, and he has been an impact player for them. You and need the to impact get... player we talked about offline is everyone's new favorite, including Jack Freeman, Kyron Williams, 
who seeks contact, enjoys contact, and relishes contact, even on touchdowns, where he decides to leave with his helmet and uh, smash somebody for the fun of it. I, I, I love that. I, I, love I, it. Thought, I, love I thought it was a statement. I mean, you could see that he was thinking about it, and it's like, all right, Jason Pinnock, I'm coming at you, and you're going to have a little bit of physicality here when it's not even necessary. And I almost referred to – I didn't want to refer to Walter Payton in my in my <laughs> assessment of him in the tail of the tape, but, but that particular play was something that Walter Payton would do. It's like, yeah, I can score, but I think I'm going to try to punish you first to get in the end zone. Look, I love I, – I said – I said I hadn't seen it with Kyron Williams. I've seen it. I love it. I love his game. I, I, I love the way he's playing football. Um, maybe you can reduce some of his carries a bit this week, if that's yeah, possible. I wanted I to ask piling up a little bit. I wanted to ask Brian Kelly about that today. I'm going to ask him Thursday. Um, has Chris Tyree, is his work volume slowed him a little bit because game five, true freshman, August camp, COVID, uh, hard year for everybody at Notre Dame's as a student and football player. Or is Sebo Flem and they got Sebo Flemister involved? Can Sebo Flemister be a part of the three man attack? Because you don't, I mean, you definitely want Tyree to hit a crease against Florida State and go for 45. But I, you and I really like the way Sebo runs from run to run as a guy that can support Kyron Williams. Well, I mean, he's kind of earned it, hasn't he? I, I think yeah. he's kind of, he's paid, he's paid more dues. I think he's earned it in his production in games. Um, you know, I, the, I love the play in the fourth quarter where he was kind of, it was an eight yard gain. He was kind of lifted up. He wouldn't go down. The offensive line was pushing him forward. Pittsburgh was trying to push him backwards. He's elevated off the ground yeah. and he's signaling first down. I, I, I love what Sebo Flemister is doing. I think that he's earned the right to get more reps and maybe some reps before Chris Tyree, not to exclude Tyree from the equation because no, there's not at all. No, I'm not saying that at all, but, you know, who's been a more consistent runner of the football? Tyree hasn't looked that – I know he's explosive, and he hasn't looked that explosive to me in the last couple of weeks, either as a runner or as a kick returner. That's why I just want to know how he is handling the workload. And I right. think Kelly will kind of give it a, give you the truth. You know, he'll, he'll, he'll like a positive spin on it, obviously. Yeah, I but I think he'll let you know if it is an issue. I wish you could have got that question today because we don't have – don't have the ability to follow up on a, on a thought yeah. or anything. And, and uh, that makes it a little bit difficult for us to get the full picture on things, but Hey, the Notre Dame defense was outstanding. We expected them to be outstanding against a, a an immobile quarterback who uh, threw the ball up for grabs. He threw two against USC when he started for Arizona state. He threw two last week. I believe it was two against Miami last week. And yeah. then, he, you know, those three interceptions against Nordane came within nine snaps of the football, and that was the end of the game. They have a offensive line problem, a backup quarterback who will probably have to start again problem, and an offensive coordinator problem. I don't want Mark Whipple coordinating my teams anymore if I'm a college football <laughs> power five coach. Well, I, you know, Brian Kelly talks about him as if he's a Talk about him all he wants. I mean, I, yeah. I've heard people <laughs> talk about Brian Van Gorder and John Tenuta for all the problems they bring people to, but that is not the case anymore. Mark Whipple was driving me crazy during that game, and I know it's Pat Narduzzi's call at the end of the first half. Absolutely, ridiculously cowardice to not try to gain anything there. And the football gods paid him back with a block punt by Isaiah Foskey. Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't. Well, we, we, again, we have a question on Narduzzi in Pittsburgh, and and I, I mean, he's kind of a – He's kind of a favorite whipping boy for me, especially in tail of the tape, because I just, 
as someone who as someone who coached and had difficulty controlling his emotions, what Narduzzi does is is detrimental to his football team. It it, it just absolutely is. And I mean, he complains that he was he was trying to get he was trying to get the call on uh, the interception by McLeod on the sideline for being out of bounds. It was thirty eight to three, and he was trying he was begging for a call on the sideline. He begs, his players beg, Marquise Williams, his cornerback, is begging for a call while Ben Skoranek is still prancing to the end zone <laughs> on a 73-yarder. Yarder. Marquise Williams is, is uh, signaling incompletion with six minutes to go when Lindsey pulls his hamstring. It's 45-3. to I mean, just no self-awareness, I, I think, is – I think Narduzzi's a whiner. I think he's a good – defensive football coach probably yeah. too aggressive for his own good at times like a lot of like a lot of coordinators can be but when you beg and cry and complain and yell at the officials all the time your team reflects that and that's why they can't string wins together they can't string wins together he's had two four game winning streaks since 2015 and i think he's too emotionally unstable for their t- team to stay locked and loaded week to week as we got a text during the game from a uh, former Notre Dame official, I'd like to quote Tim Priester. Circa, was it 2015 maybe? Pitt stinks. <laughs> That's how I felt during that game. Watching them play offense, I was just like, what? This is it, – it, they were so non-threatening to Notre Dame. Remember how we say during – at some points this year, you look out at Notre Dame and you say, they're not, they're not <laughs> threatening. They're not threatening deep. But they threaten you with everything else, Notre Dame, just because they're not threatening you deep. Notre Dame, they were, I think their rush efficiency was 13%, which is hilarious. They had two efficient runs out of 14 on design runs. The only one you had 15 design runs in the game, Pittsburgh. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's, well, that, I mean, that's, but, I mean, it was kind of like, I mean, it's similar. Notre Dame at Georgia last year where they didn't even bother to run different situations. And I don't want to turn this into a Pittsburgh podcast. Uh, right. And take anything away from Notre Dame. Notre Dame was ready to play. They hammered them. A lot of people were saying – a lot there were there was a lot of talk about well in fact Todd Blackledge said before the game if Notre Dame's not careful they could lose today. You know um, we should also talk about Michael Mayer because as much as he's a, uh, a fun recruit to talk about, having a good freshman year, he's now just actually a good player, not a good oh. freshman. My favorite play of the game, I think, even over Kyron Williams, was Michael Mayer when he got kind of dragged out of bounds after making two guys miss. He threw the he guy, throws the guy down and just stares at him. <laughs> it's just like that is the attitude on this team. Tommy Tremble has that attitude, and I think it's uh, it's really permeated the whole group. No, it's really great, and he's Michael Mayer is uh, everything Todd McShay was saying about him. I, yeah, long term, uh, along with Usu Kormoa, I mean those are fir- those are first round draft choices. Jeremiah Usu Kormoa is going to be a first round draft choice, and Michael Mayer will be yeah. a first round draft choice too. I don't I don't think I'm really going out on a limb saying something like that. And and I mean here's Mayer five games into his career. But just the size, I think I saw at one point, her name had him listed at 235. I'm like, 235? Well, he's now listed at 249, and that's accurate. He's big. He's strong. He's athletic. He's agile. He's awesome. has, he, yeah, I mean, he has the right frame of mind. I love that. I mean, he, he had the football in one hand, and he threw the defender out of bounds with the other. Yes. What I mean, what a what a player, what a specimen, what a quality quality football player. It's a joy to watch. I love the two tight ends, Tim. 
Yeah, I do too. Crowley, we'll get, Crowley want about outside speed. I love the two tight ends. Just need it, someone to run. And we'll get into more of that in segment two, burning up the boards. Indiana Dunes Tourism, located between Chicago and South Bend in northwest Indiana, is a proud supporter of Irish Illustrated. Extend your Notre Dame visit with a trip to the nation's newest national park. Visit indianadunes.com. Irish Illustrated Insider, segment two, burning up the boards. And we talk a little bit more Pittsburgh, starting with Buster Bivin. Of all the inane coaching idiosyncrasies that you have come across, where would you rank Pat Narduzzi having his quarterback run to the sideline and back between each play just to get the play call in? Are you kidding me? (laughs) I don't understand it. The announcers were appropriately upset about it. I couldn't believe what I was watching. I wonder if he does ever looks at the opposing sidelines and thinks, why are all those guys signaling with red hats wearing holding placards up in the air? I don't know what they're doing. Well, they, had some, they actually had placards. That, so they had some guys holding up placards what's, what's he at doing? some point. I, I, I have no idea. And, you know, Blackledge said, at least send the play in with the receiver, like in the old days. Or if you can't, I mean, get some counsel during the off season about how to signal plays in from the sideline. Everybody does it. I, it's. I don't want to talk about Pat Narduzzi and Pittsburgh anymore. It's just it's 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 unbelievably unbelievable how poorly run that entire organization is. I will say one one more funny comment I saw on Twitter. I don't know who said this, but it was a, it was a national reporter that where is Pat Narduzzi recruiting from? Because Notre Dame's skill position players make all of Pittsburgh's guys look like midgets. Because <laughs> Skoranek and McKinley are so big, yeah. and Michael right. Mayer out there, they did look they did treat them like they were small. Yeah. TJ from PA70, what's your take on Brian Kelly's comments after the game about wanting to move past, quote, just winning the game to playing elite football and looking ahead a little bit? Seems outside the norm of the normal coach speak of one game at a time. For sure. Uh, It's way outside his norm. Um, He was more than willing to offer that. He brought it up. And uh, I think it was genius. Not only because they won 45-3, to three, but because they weren't playing football that inspired anybody to think they should be ranked in the top three, much less could ever give Clemson a game. And he probably saw it in his team, and this is the tactic he's taking. I think every single reporter was shocked and then used it. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we both, you know, played our lead off of that. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, okay, and I, and I wrote this or said this. Or I don't know. You write so many things. But, um, you know, Brian Kelly, like, when he, when he wins a game, a game decisively, you know, he can, the, the old phrase of feeling, feeling his oats. Oh yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think he was doing that a little bit too, but I, you know, I don't know that it necessarily is gets beyond the one game at a time because he's going to expect them or want them to play the same way this weekend against Georgia tech. Yeah. I think it's still one game at a time, but he made the point of like, we're not just trying to eke out a win. We're right. going out there. Right. It's their own standard. It's what the best teams do. They play to their own standard. Notre Dame talks about it sometimes, but then when they play a close game, they say, well, it's really hard to win games. And by the way, did you notice Dabo Sweeney that it's not easy to win? Oh, I sure did. Game. In his pink yeah. suit. Yep. I sure yeah. did. Just unbelievable. And that was our Anna Hickey, by the way, our old former colleague that asked the question about them being with Oh, really? That he went off on. Yeah. Well, he was pretty, he was pretty kind about it, but you can, well, you can certainly understand why. I mean, they still won by four touchdowns, right? Well, Trevor Lawrence and the offensive coordinator both said we were lethargic and did lack, and lacked energy. So then that came to Sweeney, but not, they didn't quote them. So I think he had no idea Trevor Lawrence said it. Now, uh, you know, I get it. I mean, I, I, yes, I was a little surprised that Brian Kelly went in that direction. I thought that he was feeling good about, you know, the way his team played. So he went out on a limb a little bit, but 
I think the whole point is the expectation is, is it doesn't change going into Georgia tech. I mean, if you want to, you want to, if you want to play Clemson at, at your best and at the highest level, then that means you need to continue what you did right. last week against Pittsburgh while, while traveling to Georgia tech. So. ND squid 23. Is this Clark Lee's best defense? Ah, man, I tell you, I think the accumulation of knowledge and system makes it better in some ways, but I can't, I, I don't know that I can say, well, I, you know, the personnel is not, you don't, you don't have the pass rushing prowess right. that you had. So I would hesitate to say that, but I think that the, you know, this is the third year of the system and you had a, you know, you had a pretty good group coming back. I, I, I do think that, you know, the Hamilton Crawford combination at safety is really, really good. Yeah, you know, where I'm concerned, and not for Georgia Tech <laughs> at all, is Clemson when the Hamilton Crawford becomes one of them blitzing, one of them underneath, and you're rolling DJ Brown and Houston Griffith because they're not playing the ball. Uh, Houston Griffith was innocuous, and that's great when you're the dime safety. He didn't, I don't remember him being involved in the game, but DJ Brown can intercept that pass, right? Where he makes a little bit of a light hit on the guy. I think he should, have, he should have three. Yeah, and Sean Crawford, I don't know, as, as well as he's playing, two plays on the sideline in consecutive games where he should have just gone for the pick, right? Yeah, he, he, also, he also he had a, he had a receiver run by him where his feet were in mud and he just kind of reached for him. But I'm, I'm nitpicking. I think, I think that duo together is really, really good. I, I do too. I just think the guys coming down the pipe are a little different than the ones they've gone against. I mean, everybody knows that how much better Clemson is, but I really think they've played – Bad offensive lines, Tim, and that's the only reason I hesitate with this defensive line. It's I agree. No, I agree. I agree. I think, yeah, you know what I'm saying, though, the accumulation for this oh, yeah. group yeah. under or Clark Lee. They, this group understands defense better than last year's group understood right. the defense and better than the year before that. But in terms of playmakers, you know, you, you don't have that. You haven't had the defensive end production um, you know, like, like you had in the past. I don't know. It's apples and it's, I tell you what, he's had three really good defenses. He's had really three really good defenses. He definitely has another one. Now a non five, six, seven, eight, Oh, one, five scout was Tommy Kramer's block on Javon McKinley's 41 yard catch and run the play of the day, a six foot five, 317 pounder blocking downfield like that is inspirational. I I very much enjoyed that. There's a lot of plays of the day, as we said, with Michael Mayer throwing guys aside and Kyron Williams looking for contact. But that was great hustle by Kramer. I wrote in my film review that it's ongoing about Kramer's run blocking is what we wanted previous years this year. And I wonder, would he, this is a tangent, will he come back? I don't know, but I love the way Tommy Kramer played. Yeah. I'm not even talking about that play because I thought – I thought Tommy Trumbull's block on that 41-yard play was the yes. real key one. Yes, yeah. Coming I back, might Del have been a legal block, but what's if, that? If, if we ever talk to Dell Alexander, um, say they can make the playoffs, and we speak to an assistant coach, do you think McKinley's the first guy to ever get a loaf on a play and then 41-yard catch and run? Because I think he was just standing there when the play didn't come to him. <laughs> Ball came back to him. Well, I think he was – maybe, but I think he was still – knowing that Book didn't have a receiver at that point, he was still trying to make himself available. He definitely waved. I was just wondering if yeah. he was thinking the whole time, like, oh, I'll, I'll wait right here and see if he comes back to me. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. Yeah, I think there were a couple questions – yeah, because I because Blackledge was saying, well, was that designed or well, it wasn't designed? I don't think, uh, and he did stay there trying to get you, you, yeah. I, I, right. He should have maybe gone downfield across the field or something, but it was effective. And Kramer was good, and and Trimble was good on that one as well.
And McKinley accelerated. I mean, McKinley really accelerated. Yeah, he did. He, he, yeah. he did. He, he made a move. I, I think it was kind of a I, – I, it was like five defensive pit players that just all of a sudden got caught in the wrong place. Yeah. And, uh, and it worked. It worked for him. Irish eye was tailgating. Should McKinley and Skoranek continue to share a position? I think that's a shot at me saying they needed to share a position last week. But I do think they needed to share a position going into last week. Um, you know, they I don't know. They lost two guys. They can't share yeah. a position. They lost two guys. No, they can't. No, they can't. I, you know, I don't. I mean, I, yeah, I thought it was interesting. Brian Kelly said today that their original plan was they were going to put Skoranek at W and put Austin at the X which I thought was interesting, but I get it. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, Austin got hurt. Skoranek had a hamstring, and it kind of threw things into a, into a tizzy a little bit there, and it kind of remains in that situation with their receiving core. I mean, when you think about the injuries they've suffered at receiver, yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been very, very extreme. Um, and so that's part of the problem. I, I, you know, it was still an inexperienced group without a ton of playmaking going in, even if they had all stayed, all stayed healthy. Um, so what are your thoughts on the distribution of snaps now moving forward without Austin and Lindsay? Well, at least I mean, without Austin structure? and Lindsay, you have to start Skoranek and McKinley. They're, that's that's where it's going, no matter what. Um, I do think Davis will get the next highest number of wide receiver snaps. The question is, who is number four? Because – it won't be keys right away. He's still working his way back. So it's going to be Joe Wilkins this week, but is Joe Wilkins getting more than 10 or you just go three tight ends and two running backs. And yeah. And keys, I'm going to eliminate a question from Nick 2014 down the road here uh, because keys has dabbled a little bit at, at X. So maybe yeah. they, maybe they do that. Yeah. Cause right now well. Joe Wilkins is backing up X and W and there is no, I mean, keys should be, I know he's backing up the slot, but he's not getting any snaps there because your backup slot is your second and third tight end. Right, right. Avery yeah. Davis is your backup slot. That's right. what it really is. He actually is the backup slot because the tight end's the starter. So, right. yeah, maybe Keys gets some time at, uh, at X and Wilkins gets it at W. Maybe Davis gets some at X. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's starting Clearly two to be tight a... ends is your best call. So Of course. Yeah, yeah but he's starting. So, right. And so that's why I'm saying that maybe Davis gets yeah. some at X so he can get on the field a little bit more. It'll be interesting. There's no easy answer because the court, their the receiver situation stinks. It does. And you know what, though, Tim? I did go through the numbers, and I put this on the board at some point because we have so many questions. Oh, you know what? I'll wait until uh, Jordan Johnson okay. Xavier Watts. They make okay. their podcast for the 27th straight week down at the bottom. Okay. Slicer 98 in 99. Who in your eyes is the closest to being the that feared defensive lineman everyone has to be worried about when facing the Irish? Or do they have one yet? No. Last year is. Khalid Kareem and previous year was Kareem, Okwara, and Tillery. They don't have one yet, but they I like their defensive line rotation. But as I said earlier, we got to find out what happens when they play Clemson if the if they can really rotate three deep against the Tigers. Yeah, the closest one is Foskey because he's just because he will be someday. To, he will be someday. Well, I mean, and I, I mean I think right now he's still hard to block as a as a pass rusher. And and people wonder why, you know, why isn't he getting more snaps? Why so I you know, I understand putting Dalen Hayes on the field when you're trying to stop the run, you know, I, I, I get that. Uh, but if anybody is close, it's Foskey, right? I, yeah. Yeah. There's no, I can't think of anybody that would be a. Ogan, Ogan Deji is a consistent player. I thought he good, played a consistent player. MTA yeah. I thought he played a really player. good yeah. game without actually accumulating any real stats. I thought he, I thought he was disruptive and made plays for other people. 
I want to give uh, credit to Jamie over at Irish Sports Daily because he mentioned that Notre Dame's stats defensively it, for individuals aren't going to look good because they're not getting any snaps, and it's been that way for a bit now. Right. So, like, yeah. you, you don't have any tackles. 98 snaps in the last two games combined. That's crazy. Yeah. And then, and then plus with the rotation of players, it just makes it difficult to accumulate stats. Um, I think Drew White is fourth in tackles, and it's your safeties that are getting most of it in Owusu-Koromoa. So right. it's, it's a little out of whack. I don't – you know, tackle totals can be very, very deceiving, particularly within a game. You oh, know, yeah. because, of, because a lot of times you're creating opportunities for other people. Kaiser Wilhelm, do you agree with the pit game announcers that Notre Dame has a championship-level defense? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, think, I think they have a championship-level defensive coordinator, and I think, that, I think that he gets more, you know, the sum is greater than the parts. The plan is greater than the, the parts. Uh, I, do, I agree with you. I love the depth. I mean, the, the ability to rotate and get all those bodies on the field. Um, but I, you know, Owusu Koromo is a standout player. Kyle Hamilton's a standout player. You know, I don't know. I don't know. You don't. You don't. You know. What I'm saying. I mean, I don't think there's do. a lot of I, individual I, stars I, beyond those two. I'm mad at the question because I put it in Monday Musings, and uh, they're stealing my thunder. I have to say it right here. They have a championship level defense, except I agree with Nick Saban that that championship level defense can't stop the championship-level offenses of Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama yeah, yeah. in a playoff. He was saying offenses win games. Offenses, I think if you had none of those three teams with their super offenses, this defense would ride – Notre Dame would ride the defense to a national title. They could play Alabama in the old Alabama way of playing offense. Like if you want to get in a slugfest, you could pull one out there against Alabama in a 17-16 game, or I guess with this offense right now in a 6-3 to game. But – how much defense do they have to play to beat Clemson twice, Ohio State, and Alabama? Yeah. Or beat Clemson once? How about once? They get in. They get in number four. Right, right, Beat Clemson right. once, Ohio State, and Alabama. Or Clemson again at Ohio State and Alabama. That defense, <laughs> I don't know if you can carry a day like that. I mean. <clears throat> yeah, I agree. Can you imagine how much Nick Saban hated it when he just had to concede that yeah. I've got to go four wide. I've got to spread the field. I've got to do these things offensively. To keep pace. Credit to him. That's why he's a great one of the greatest. It'd be like ever. beating it'd be like beating the best Yankee teams of that run with your pitching, but your hitting is college baseball level. Right. So you what, what are you how are you ever yeah. gonna score on them? Yeah. So there's speaking a downer. Of, speaking of baseball, we're we're in the midst of a pretty special World Series. The two yeah, best I watched teams. it live to me a little bit at five in the morning today. I saw the last game, couple of days. Game, game four, which I caught a little bit of Saturday night after the game in the hotel was was nuts. Was All time nuts. Yeah, yeah, I mean it was it was fantastic. Uh USA us, on Brooksy. USA on Brooksy. Is that what it is? Yeah. So. Okay. Who are who are your offensive and defensive MVP so far? No cop out saying offensive line. That's We're pretty player. easy call, isn't it? Yeah, but Kyron Williams and Jeremiah Usu Koromoa, right. if I have to just pick a player, right? That's yeah. But I mean, offensive Kyle, line and Clark Lee are the actual MVPs. I don't think Kyle Hamilton has has had as many spectacular plays, of course, as Usu Koromoa. But again, I'll say it yeah, for the hundredth hundred time. Yeah. Safety, yeah, yeah. I mean, safety yeah. play. No, safety play is is not always about the plays that you make. It's about the plays that you prevent from coming your way. And I Absolutely. think he do, I think he does a lot of that. I think he does a lot of that. The Friedert. 
What is making the biggest difference in the improvement of the run game on third and short? Is it play calling, running back ability, OL tight end blocking, or something else? And uh, I excluded the decree from the free dirt on this in that uh, he said, I can't say it's always more than one thing. It is always more than one thing. And you listed all of them, free dirt. <laughs> no, he did. I, it's, it's a little, I think a little tricky. Who, well, okay. Which of those would you pick? Uh, OL tight end blocking, especially the tight ends. Yeah, I, I would too. I mean, I think the offensive line on these third and shorts, the offensive line is getting a kind of push that we haven't seen. Yeah, you know and, what, though? I bet it was fine, and we blame them a little bit. Kyron Williams makes those plays, too. I No, I agree. Yeah. I agree. But they had Tony Jones Jr. last year, and Tony Jones Jr. wasn't afraid to play physical and handle No, he wasn't. But he just didn't uh, – if he turned him sideways, he didn't have the uh, – not that third and one to get turned sideways much, but, you know, it's – no, I agree. Kyron Williams is special, man. He's yeah. really special. But if I had to pick one, I would say O-line tight ends here. Donnelly, this two questions put together. Donnelly, 34-34 and Mike Rose, 43-10. Uh, can Jafar Armstrong take the slot already? Dude has played wide receiver. He's smart. The, st the staff trusts him. He's still a very talented player, and he's clearly not a running back. And then Mike Rose with multiple injuries at the wide receiver positions. What is more likely, Jordan Johnson? And Xavier Watts getting snaps or Jafar Armstrong moving back to receiver? I am going to ask Brian Kelly about this. I promise that I'll include Jafar Armstrong, even though it's a Tyree question. Uh, I think it's more likely that Jafar Armstrong plays slot or something in the receiving game than Johnson and Watts because I don't. I think Brian Kelly almost announced he wasn't doing that post-game. Yeah, he, he did, although Watts did make the trip and Johnson didn't. And, and I wanted, this is what I wanted to bring up. Um, so I'm going <laughs> to contradict myself a little bit here. We just named five wide receivers, Davis, Keys, Wilkins, and the two starters. They lost their other two, which is their seventh, sixth and seventh, Lindsey and Austin. They have to call up Watts. You have to have six varsity receivers for practice. Or, do, or does the usage of the tight ends. I just think you have to do it because if the guys get hurt, you have to have someone repped. Like all uh, week, I think Xavier Watts has to play wide receiver in practice for right. So that so I would, So then it's more likely it's Watts than yeah, Armstrong. I want to say more likely. I want to. I, I want everybody to understand this about Jafar Armstrong. As a freshman, he didn't play in any games, and then in the spring they moved him to running right. back. Yep. He was so if he he didn't play in any games, so he did nothing at wide receiver other than prep team. So he basically did not run Notre Dame's offense during that one season that he was a wide receiver. Yep. So moving him back to receiver is not you're not going to get that many benefits because he never really ran Notre Dame's offense. Yeah. I think if Davis if keys never makes it back, let's just say, or let's say Davis gets hurt. I don't want to put it all on keys. Then you can probably have Armstrong be in the slot where he has in 2018, he split out to the slot, but that's all the Notre Dame running backs do that. Right. I mean, all the ones that can catch. Right. So he's not going to play wide receiver, but I guess you could get him involved in the slot, but we do agree that uh, the running back, and Jafar Armstrong mix is not working right now. Well, and here's the other thing. I mean, you just lost Jamir Smith. Yes. And if you move Armstrong, now you're now you're. It's not so much games, but it's now you're practicing with three running backs. I don't know where Kendall Abdur Rahman is. Right. If you look at Notre Dame's roster, he's listed as wide receiver now. He's obviously not even close to being in the mix, so it doesn't really matter. But, but you know, my point though, Tim, is you're right. Watts has to practice all week now because you have to practice. He, he has does. To be he does. Yeah. He does. Exactly. So 
I would think it's more likely that Jordan Johnson, he didn't make the trip. He, <laughs> he had, he was, he was having academic problems early in the season as stated by Brian Kelly. Uh, Samson said yesterday he had a, or the other last week, Samson said that uh, he had a source that said he didn't know the playbook well. And he had the one time he did play, he had a ridiculous, stupid personal foul penalty. So, so Watts is Watts is ahead. Watts made the trip. Right. Watts is ahead. Uh, you know, so like the assumption that, okay, now one of those guys, young guys has to play. You're right. Brian Kelly pretty much shot down the, the notion that one of them has to play. One of them has to practice though. One of them <laughs> has to practice. No, I would, I would agree with that. You know, Darth Vandelay, do you have a problem with Braden Lindsay being in during garbage time and re-injuring his hamstring? I understand he's Notre Dame's only true speed threat, but he's barely made an impact in his career and needs the reps. Did you did you have a problem with it? No, I was surprised he was in only because he had yeah, played no, earlier. But, but I mean, he hasn't. He he needs reps. He does need reps. Yeah, a, um, a, and he had a deep ball. Hurt. He had a deep ball opportunity against the starting cornerback for Pittsburgh. I, it hurt your hamstring. You're gonna hurt your hamstring too. It's, right. I you I, I don't. He was cleared to play. It wasn't like he was. Right. I mean, well, they're he, down. He was on, they're down Austin. They're down Austin. They're not going to play Skoranek at the end of the game because he's their best receiver right now. They're not going to play McKinley because he plays more snaps than anybody, and you have to get McKinley plays. Well, you didn't times. have to run. You didn't have to run a deep ball. But then if you don't run yeah. a deep ball, then they're not giving Brendan Clark enough opportunities. Throw, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's a it's a vicious circle that yeah. goes round and round and round. Uh, and I and I just don't think you know the whole notion of quarterback throwing passes in the fourth quarter if you're a backup you're not going to learn how to be the starting quarterback in Notre Dame until you are the starting quarterback in Notre Dame. Those reps, those reps don't, you, you, you have a backup uh, uh, offensive line generally going against backup defensive players. Although Narduzzi didn't really take his starters out down the stretch. Right. Uh, so I don't, people get all wound up about Salerno catching punts and, and and backup quarterbacks getting passes in the fourth quarter. These are so far down the line of priority. Like, you know, how, how many yards are you? Salerno, almost all of, I'm getting off topic here, but I'm, almost bit. all of those, almost all of those punts are going to be fair caught anyway. I just think we get worked up. There are a million factors on a football team and to focus on factors number four, 52 and 53 seem like you're looking for reasons to complain. I will speak for both of us and everybody that we wish Braden Lindsay did not get hurt. Like yes. Guys get hurt. Yes. That's yeah. unfortunate, but he was cleared to be in uniform yeah. and you want to get him back in the groove of things. He pulled his hamstring again. It's unfortunate, but it's football and it happens. Wash ND. Have you guys considered doing a Costanza on your predictions and just predict the opposite of what you think will happen? You know, last week's game even snuck over. That's the incredible thing about that prediction. <laughs> Pittsburgh had three points. The game snuck over. So that one hurts me a little bit because uh, I would have, I would have had I been wagering, bet money on the uh, on the under as the number one thing in that game, and I would have bet money on the over in the Louisville game. So that's two in a row that I am not feeling good about my over under hits. But you've done better on over unders than I. Do you I know have. what? Uh, do you know what my prediction was last week? It ended up being thirty to sixteen, which was over, and I kind of played it contrarian. But look. And I and I've got I've got the world's thinnest skin. I, I realize that because somebody said something on Twitter after the game. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm seven and three. I'm four and one against the spread and three and two over under. Um, and 
look, so I'm seven and three. The odds of me being at 70% again, like will be the last year of Brian Kelly's contract. <laughs> so I have to, <laughs> I have to speak up when I'm seven and three and being accused of being lousy at making my picks. But uh, that's my thin skin talking again there, Tim. <laughs> I missed the last two over-unders, so I'm okay with that. Over, oh, I asked three. I don't think I've ever missed three over-unders in a row. I would have missed Florida State's. You know what? I don't know if I missed Florida State's over-under, but I missed the spirit of the game of the Florida State game. That's for sure, because that game was nuts. That game was up and down more than I thought it would be. Yeah, Ohio too. Domer. Feels like the offense has found its identity. Big wide receivers and tight ends and run the ball. You could have also subscribed to Irish Illustrated Ohio Domer, which I actually know you do and know that in August. Reminds me of how Stanford has played when it's been successful. The offense lacks explosive guys. However, Notre Dame seems to know who they are. Is this style good enough to compete with anyone? I feel understanding our identity and not trying to be something we're not will give us a chance. I do feel it's important to understanding your identity and trying not to be something that you're not. Is it a style good enough to compete with anyone? Probably not. Yeah, I agree. I think they'll, I'm going way too far ahead here, but I do think they'll compete this regular season with everybody though. And if they're fortunate enough to win enough and get in, then I think that it sort of gets tough. Yeah, I mean, those three I, teams are way ahead. Of everybody you're going who, to have to. You're, way ahead. You're, yeah, you're going to have to. You're probably going to need Lindsey back come um, playoff time. Yes, you would need uh, an X factor that you just don't have right now. Right, but you can't sit around and whine about what you don't have. I, I feel like sometimes, okay, like like we view this as what they don't have and we disregard what they do have. For example, all the good things that Ian book did the other night or afternoon are dismissed because people don't like them and they, they only point to what he doesn't do well. Uh, but coaching staffs are the exact opposite. What do we do? Well, what don't we do? Well, we need to emphasize this. We need to de-emphasize that. And that's, I mean, that's football. That's, there's so many aspects of the game that you're going to have shortcomings. And so you have to try to play around them, play to your strengths, mitigate the, the negative things while still trying to improve them when you know this is what you're going to need in order to win playoff games. And I've been trying to hammer this point home. It's probably too much. What they believe clearly is that 60 snaps of Javon McKinley, what he brings in terms of run blocking and big body receiver is better than your fourth <laughs> best deep option in Xavier Watts or Jordan Johnson. That's what it is right now. Just because you lose your top two guys doesn't mean, all right, put in the third deep option that hasn't been playing varsity the whole year. I don't think that is a way of winning games either at their level. Now, if Notre Dame was two and five or two and four, yes, let's go try something else with our talented freshmen. Right. That's a, that's a different story. Have you ever known a coach to put players on the field, Tim, when it really matters that don't give them the best chance that, that in his mind, he doesn't think they give them the best chance to win. No. And I do think most fans aren't saying that as much as they are blaming Kelly and Alexander and Reese for not getting them ready, which I don't know if that's fair or not. Cause I don't know if they should be ready, but I do know these fans should realize that at Notre Dame freshmen can struggle in the classroom. And if you have a problem with that, you've been rooting for the wrong team. That's why teams have a freshman doing well other places because they don't have that problem. Right. It is a thing. It really happens. Tim, I coached 275 high school baseball games, 14 of which were in a sectional championship, regional championship, semi-state championship, or state championship. In those 14 games, 
How many times do you think I put somebody on the field that I didn't think gave us the best chance to win? <laughs> Probably not very often, right? There's not. <laughs> they call me Cass. With the NCAA banning all team activities on election day, how is Notre Dame adjusting their schedule this week and into next week? That is a great question. Monday? Yeah, we don't we don't know the exact answer to that, but I I can we can speculate a little bit about this. Got to be Monday, right? You can't you can't put it on them Sunday on a travel. So Monday they return. I mean, it was Sunday no. they return. You no, but the, no, they'll come back Saturday night. But you can't have them do too much on Sunday. Other than no, lifting. you can't. But you probably have to yeah. start the process. Yeah, you and probably so have to. Now you're not. You're not. It's not going to be anything physical on Sunday. Right. But you have to start. You have to speed up the process. I don't think. I don't think anything's altered this week because I, yeah. it's still Georgia Tech week. You don't. Right. You, you can't look that far ahead. Probably but Monday think, becomes Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday Monday becomes exactly. Physical. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I think that's what you Everybody have to do. To do it. It's, they're not the only ones. Yeah. Well, Dabble Sweeney's already complained about it. He's already addressed this. This was weeks ago. Like, you mean we're not going to be able to have our normal Tuesday practice the week of Notre Dame? I sense four Trevor Lawrence interceptions because of this, Tim. Oh, there's no doubt. DJ <laughs> Brown and Houston Griffin are going to get them collected. Yeah. I, this is a, uh, they call me Cass. This is a question for us to address on Monday of next week. Yeah, we should ask Brian Kelly, and I, though. And I, and I will do my best to make sure that... Or if we can just, get it in Thursday so we know ahead of time. Uh, that's, a, that's a good point, but we only have 15 minutes with him on, on Thursday. So everything's compressed. Everything's compressed for everybody's line of work. Shamrock FL, was Notre Dame's performance against Pittsburgh not enough or more than enough to convince you that the game against Clemson will be competitive and why? I don't... I try never to base those kind of decisions uh, upon an impression every seven days it's it's more an accumulation of impressions it makes you feel better about Notre Dame certainly playing with the level of intensity that they they did and to find a couple answers in in the passing game um you know but I, I don't know that anything alters my opinion of how that game is going to be played out because you you to really evaluate football teams you need to accumulate information not just not just there, there's a knee-jerk reaction every seven days, and that's not really reality. No, I, I agree. I think that the offensive line and defensive line give me thoughts that they can be competitive with Clemson. And if you're competitive with Clemson in the fourth quarter and you're at home and Clemson's got a little more pressure on them than you do, you could beat them. But the problem I keep coming down with with picking order to win that game, and I like Ian Book more than 95% of the people listening to me say these words, is they have Trevor Lawrence in the fourth quarter. Yeah, been there, done that under the most difficult, stringent, pressure-packed situations. And he's great. And he's, and I mean, he's I great. Mean, it is a, he is just naturally makes great throws. So it's Ian Book. And Ian Book has to be have his best game ever, and the offensive line has to be the best unit of the field. And then, then you have a chance. I'm not confident of, of that scenario unfolding, but we'll, we'll take it one step at a time. Dashing Domer, can you compare, contrast, Clemson's defense with the one just faced at Pittsburgh. If someone were to tell you Notre Dame would score 24 points against Clemson, would you be surprised? And how likely would it be that they win the game in that case? I think that is probably a classic loss in the stadium. 30 to 24. If they score 24. 30 to 24, 27 to 24, 31, 24. I think they got to get 28, 30 points. To, to, yeah, I think you're, I think you're, it's a, it's a good line set there. It is a, it for, is a good line. For, for, yeah. By Dashing Domer. Um, and I don't, I, I would tend to think that that's not enough. Um, 
Well, we'll deal with this more next week, but a comparison, let me, let me just say, and Timmy, you and I have talked about this a lot, that Clemson's pass rush is not as good as it was two years ago. And yet there they are sitting atop the country with, with Pittsburgh. So, yes. uh, you know, in sacks and tackles for loss. So yeah. it, it, it makes it a little bit more problematic. Um, they're not as veteran on the back end of the defense as they were because you lost all those, you lost that secondary to the, uh, to the NFL, to the draft last year. Um, and Clemson, do I think, I, th- I think Notre Dame has a better chance against his defense in 2020 than they had in 2018. Yeah, well, there was a, that was an all-time great. We found out that was an all-time great college football team when they went yes. out and destroyed what was supposed to be the all-time great college football team in Alabama after handling Notre Dame. Um, they can't be as deep because it's humanly impossible to be as deep as they were on that 2018 defensive end area. So I looked this up right before the podcast. Clemson is number one nationally in rush defense per pro football focus. So like just their, their rush defense efficiency and number three in coverage rate and number one or two in pressure defense or press pressuring the passer. Now Notre Dame is 16th in rush defense rate and seventh in coverage rate. So that's a good comparison. So fairly uh, the difference, I guess is Clemson has played Miami and Notre Dame. Right. And, and, and actually the question by dashing Domer was about Pittsburgh. I, I think I'm just trying to give Notre Dame's, I no, I get, I get it. I'm trying to come back to the original question and, and the comparison. I think the biggest difference between Clemson and Pittsburgh defensively, just as a whole in general, is that Clemson's more sound. You know, yeah. and Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh's giving up big plays. I, although I, I, I guess that uh, Brett Venables, I think they gave up a big play last week, and he said, "Totally on me, my fault. Put us in the wrong situation." Uh, so I guess he wasn't quite as sound. Uh, on that particular play, but overall, I think there are less busts, you know, that you're dealing with when you're dealing with uh, Clemson and, and Brett Venables. How about this? Notre Dame needs one of those. November one of- Brett Venables puts them in the wrong spot. It's totally his fault after the game. I messed up. I need. Yeah, one more. probably won't happen though. Can't. That's one thing that you can't. You probably can't cut on. What you do need is for Notre Dame's defense to be at its absolute best as well. Final question from B. L. Casperin. Anyway, Notre Dame overlooks Georgia Tech. Yeah. Sure. Sure. <laughs> there is, but I hope that doesn't mean anything. They should come out and play football the way they played football. It should be a continuation of Pittsburgh. The whole it practice should. week should be challenged the same way. The game should be played the same way. Continuation of everything. They give up one drive to Georgia Tech. Clark Lee settles in. But they could, if they overlook Georgia Tech, they could <laughs> still win 28-10. to 10. I, I think Brian Kelly will try everything in his power to make sure they don't overlook Georgia Tech. But we have we have seen in the past that, that that there have been games where no matter what he did to try to make sure that they were locked in, they haven't been. So, yeah, it can happen. Can it happen to the extent that Notre Dame loses? Well, it, it certainly shouldn't because the disparity is still very great. And I, Brian Kelly brings up Sims and Gibbs. They're two playmakers on offense the quarterback and running back, and they are good. I've seen them already, uh, but it's still, I mean, it, will Notre Dame be as dominant against Georgia Tech as they were against Pittsburgh? I would say unlikely because I don't think that they they can match that. Uh, going think into Kelly addresses Clemson. with the team since it's on film, I and mean, he's going to be showing this film, the uh, Clemson scoring 273 points against Georgia Tech a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Here's your new standard for this week. <laughs> let's, let's go. Yeah. 
I don't, I, mean, I don't think, I don't think Notre Dame will be as dialed in for Georgia tech as they were Pittsburgh, but the strengths of those two teams are much different and Notre Dame should be able to heck if you score 48 against Pittsburgh, you, you should be able to, you're, you're going to be able to outscore Georgia tech, even if you're not at your peak. I don't think, I don't want to misconstrue this though. I don't think Notre Dame is going to play down this week. I just think someone said, is it possible? Yes, it's possible. They were overlooked. Georgia Tech because they have overlooked teams in the Kelly era before. We all agree, Jack, Tim, and I, that it's good that it's on the road again. Yeah, I, I think so. I be, well because because the plan that they had last week worked perfectly, in and out. Yeah, they played great, and so that that plan worked perfectly. We now have one more podcast before we can just talk about Clemson. <laughs> But on Thursday, we'll talk about Georgia Tech because uh, we have to write previews and look at film and see what Georgia Tech has. And we'll talk about that a little bit more, but probably entertain a couple Clemson questions or two on Thursday as well. We appreciate you joining us for Irish Illustrated Insider. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley. Thanks for joining us.